0: Hello and welcome back to The Modern Mama. Today I have with me Ami. Ami is somebody I have known since she was a child. Um, But now she is a mother of a two-year-old. And we're going to have a chat about um, pregnancy, motherhood, childhood, growing up. And uh, yeah, so welcome Ami to The Modern Mama. Thank you, Papi. Thank you for having me on.
1: I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so we're we're sort of related by ma- by marriage, but yeah, I've seen I've seen you grow up, right? You have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself, or tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, well, um, I'm a mother of a two year old. Uh, she's a little girl. Her name is Shakti. She's uh, a very chatty, very intelligent little girl. Um, I've been now married for uh, four years. And um we had Shakti very soon into our into our married life and she's brought us lots of joy and happiness. Um my my background is I am one of four children myself, so I'm the third girl out of four four children. Um and I've got two older sisters and a younger brother, and um we're quite a traditional traditional Indian family. And in terms of my professional background, I am a nurse and a midwife by background. So um Very much in touch with, I guess, the maternal world, but from a professional background as well as having gone through it myself now. Um, So I guess that's just a little snapshot of me. And
0: uh... yes, that is a that is an absolute snapshot of you. But there's more to you than that. (laughs) So you are number three in your family, aren't you? And then there's there's your younger brother. That's right. So you did mention you're 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 quite a traditional family. So. You grew up in a very extended family with grandparents, parents, uncles, aunts, everybody around you and your your grandparents actually lived with you. Um how was that growing up? Um I mean it, we didn't know any different really it was the norm for us. We
1: were eight people in um at the time when we when what when I was born we were living in in a four bedroom house but there was eight of us so it was a lot of room sharing and and a lot of things going on as a family so there was always when when we were quite religious and cultural there was a lot of things happening on a religious front where we were very involved in the community because of my dad um but growing up as a child in in a big family we we had a very very strong foundation you know um not only did we have our parents but we had our grandparents who lived with us and they taught us so many things about religion culture um and yeah so it, it really built a very strong foundation growing up living in a joint family the values um and everything associated with that really and as I said we didn't really know any difference so we didn't know the other side I guess when not living in a big family but it was pretty amazing we learned
0: lots of things yes yeah and it was always a busy household um I I think when I sort of I sort of knew you before marriage, but when I came in through marriage, I think you were living in Wandsworth above above a shop, and your parents worked downstairs in the post post office. And yeah, they worked downstairs; you were all upstairs, being taken care of by your by your grandparents. But there was all like you say, there was always something going on. That was a it was a different era, almost, wasn't it?
1: It was. I mean, we we grew coming? up in we grew up in an environment where you know it wasn't set bedtimes, it wasn't set routines. Um, you know, we we as children were very flexible around that busyness, mm-hmm. and um, yes. it didn't it didn't necessarily impact our growth or our function. But it was it was pretty amazing because there was always something happening. There was always people around. We we grew up in a hubbub of a community and a family, be that extended or um people we just came across in day-to-day life and you know once we were back from school there was always somebody over or there was always cooking happening or there was always an event to prepare for so we we grew up around that
0: but funny you should say that about no six times because I know the times when we would be round and it would be like ten, eleven o'clock and I'd be going I think we need to go home these kids need to get to bed <laughs> and this was before I had my own children <laughs> And your mum would be going, no, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, no, they've got school in the morning. I can't possibly be up at this hour. But like you say, it didn't impact you. It that was life, and and you didn't know any different. So if we fast forward to, yeah, you've been married four years now. Before we go into into your motherhood, your profession, nurse, and then you trained to be. Were you did you train to be a general nurse or did you specialise?
1: So I trained to be a general nurse and I did that for around um, seven years. And then I went on to do a postgraduate diploma in midwifery because I felt like a change and midwifery was always something I wanted to do. So I just delayed it a little bit with my nursing career, but went on to become a midwife and was doing that full time um, up until, gosh, three years ago. So um, being from a medical field and, and, and working around maternity and mothers was something so rewarding and
0: and um mm.
1: very different from
0: nursing well, just being a, well just being a nurse I mean I've you know my background is is being a pediatric nurse which I, I have left the profession a long time ago but it takes a certain type of person to be a nurse I think no matter what speciality you're in and that that instinct of caring compassion it, it's got to come from within to, for you to be be that and then like you say being being a midwife is is a it's bringing lives into this world you know um so as a midwife um and let's let's look at it from the midwife point of view not the ummy point of view y- you were trying for a child or you you decided you were going to have have you know wanting wanting children how was that with all the knowledge that you have
1: i think when, when you're a midwife, you see it from one point of view where you're on the other end you're delivering the babies you're very very aware of the complications you know the the things mm. that could go wrong um the things that may not necessarily go wrong, but you're you're very aw- aware of sort of the risks associated with having a baby conception, the risks associated through pregnancy um, underlying health conditions, and it's very different when you don't have children of your own. Because a lot of fellow midwife colleagues will be able to dawn on their experiences and say, well, you know, when it was me, how I went through it, what my experiences were. And you're aware of the pain or the the, the stress that the body goes through to be able to grow a child and actually deliver. And when you don't have a child and you're in the profession, you know, you're very good at what you do because we are professionals, we're trained to be. And then you have that nurturing and caring instinct within as a person. But you've not been through it you've not grown a child you've not delivered so it's it's different to say I understand what you're going through and and to actually understand what that person is going through so I think as a midwife when I was going through sort of the preconception you know trying for a baby I was very aware that things could go wrong or what I was putting myself in for you know the whole pregnancy the way the body changes and then the end goal of going through labor and having a healthy child and um, yes. that in itself is an added pressure I think being a professional you're so aware and so alert that that adds to the strain of oh my god we want a child and what's going to happen next I think
0: yeah yeah that it it's the knowledge you have isn't it and and like you say as a professional you know all the things that can go right that can go wrong um and it's yeah the pressure so how did you feel when you fell pregnant I mean what you know how did you feel what were your your emotions at the time
1: so I mean initially we weren't really expecting to fall pregnant quite quickly as quickly as we did Mm -hmm. but we did and and we were both very very excited and um To be fair, I mean, I was hoping for a happy, healthy pregnancy. And unfortunately, I did have quite a few complications through my pregnancy. So I wasn't able to enjoy it as much as I probably would have liked to. And um, on the other scale, as a health professional, I think we always downplay a lot of our symptoms. Or we we try and sort of Mm. discourage ourselves from seeking medical advice because we think, oh, maybe we're just making a big deal out of it or maybe we're sort of playing up symptoms because we don't I guess we're harsher on ourselves as healthcare professionals so I think I I was so excited and then when I had so many complications I think I was um a I was already feeling quite guilty and I think for me the mum guilt that people talk about fell into place quite quickly and in in during my pregnancy and um, I was very much aware of the complications and I did take that on as a personal hit that I'm from a professional background and I was expecting everything to, you know, be smooth and be great. And even though I was aware of what could go wrong and all the complications, mm. I wasn't prepared within myself. I almost felt like my body was failing me a little bit. And um,
0: do you mind talking about the struggles that you had in your pregnancy? Yes, of course. So um
1: I had a lot of um initially I started off with a lot of early pregnancy bleeding, which was like the spotting. And um, initially, yeah. we all know that 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 can be normal, or you know, we're told that it's normal. And as a midwife, I knew that. But that for me continued throughout my pregnancy. So I had a lot of scares where I was back and forth from the pregnancy unit and having a lot of scans. And they were saying there's nothing we can see that's wrong, but there was obviously mm. this bleeding, which was on your. It's on, it plays on your mind, you know, throughout. You know, you're worried does. for the yeah. safety of your child, and then I had something called hyperemesis. So I was. um completely nauseous and vomiting throughout my pregnancy you know people had cravings on one side and I was just throwing up (laughs) and so um, it kind of fell hand in hand exactly I wasn't able to enjoy it as such and um, towards the end of the pregnancy I then got um, SPD which is the girdle pain so I had a crutch and I wasn't able to walk properly because baby was quite big and pressing on the nerves and it was quite a journey you know it was Ooh. challenging for yeah. me to have to walk around with a crutch and trying to explain to everybody that that I was struggling with pelvic pain and and I guess while people don't judge you and while people don't look look on you look upon you and think that you're not doing a good job you feel that as as a mum or a soon-to-be mum that your body's not quite doing its job correctly so I did feel like my body was failing me through my pregnancy quite a bit and if I put my midwife hat on, I know that I, I would be telling my ladies or, you know, my patients by saying that, you know, it's it, you shouldn't feel that way. And, and it's the body's just naturally growing a human being. And that takes a lot of energy and it puts a lot of strain mm. on the female body. But I think. At that point, but you weren't able itself, to tell yourself.
0: the wasn't midwife able wasn't to, able to tell
1: on me. Exactly. I wasn't able to educate myself or to reassure myself through my journey that that it's OK, you know, this is normal. And it can happen.
0: So um, those, I if think you those were are the to, If you were to give advice now of those things, is there anything that you could have done to have prevented this, any of the, the complications? Or is it just something natural that just happens and you were just unfortunately a little bit unlucky to have suffered these?
1: I, th- I think definitely. I mean, very, very soon after Shakti was born, I think I actually you know had people around me saying all these things to me but I actually sat myself down and I reflected and I said to myself look that we as healthcare professionals know that there are some things that are not in your power they're not in your control and these Mm -hmm. things when it comes to pregnancy no matter how healthy you might be preconception if it's going to happen it's going to happen it is pot of luck and if you are unlucky to have these things you will come out of it stronger you know it's not it's not something you've done it's not something that's in your control or in your power unfortunately it's just sometimes when you grow a human being when you put that much energy and and effort into growing a human that it does put a strain on your body and and not everybody has a smooth pregnancy where everything's normal and and it's all going to have Mm. um no complications and a positive outcome and i knew all of that it was just about trying to to regain that confidence in myself and in my own body and and, in that. So it's hard to teach yourself that when you're having two caps on, not just a midwife, I'm not just a nurse, I'm Mm. now going to be a mum. And it's trying to then decipher what's okay to do as a mum and what, what's not okay. And, you know, trying to separate. It's no mean
0: feat. It's no mean feat. Like you say, growing a human being inside you and, and giving birth, it's, you know, um, but com- coming to the, the end of your pregnancy and the birth, how, how did that go? Um,
1: I, so I was induced towards the end of my pregnancy because I had something called reduced fetal movements where baby wasn't moving as much as its normal pattern to do so. So, um, because I'd had a few episodes of that, the midwives and the doctors decided that I was quite close to my the end of my pregnancy i was 39 weeks so i wasn't that far off the 40 weeks and so they said well let's induce you and i said well if that's what's recommended you know i'm not going to play the professional here if that's what you feel is best Mm. then then that's what we'll go for um in the end i think i was induced over a period of three or four days where um they tried various methods and um It was it was okay to start with, I'd say. You know, it was a standard induction of labour. I was in hospital. I had my husband with me. I had my eldest sister with me, and um, you know, initially it was all fun and games. We were keeping each other entertained, and then things started to kick off. And I was moved on to the labour ward, and I had my waters broken, and you know, contractions were coming, but perhaps not as strong as they needed to. So I was given a drip to get my contractions going, and um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I decided that I didn't. Initially, want to have an epidural, so I was having the the hormone drip, but with no epidural, and I was using gas and air for um, pain relief, and I was managing quite well. Um, so this is probably about day four into the induction process. So I'd been on the ward quite some time, and I was now downstairs labouring. So obviously quite tired already, but um, yes. was trying to regain source you know, sources of energy and trying to keep upbeat. And I think I was at a period of about 15 to 18 hours where they were examining every four hours. I was having the drips, still no epidurals, just on the gas and air. And I got stuck um, at six centimetres dilated. So the cervix had only dilated up to six centimetres. And I'd been like that now for eight to ten hours. And I was getting quite tired and I was getting quite, um, not septic, but my blood, my temperature was rising. So at mm. which point, you know, they were a little concerned that, you know, ba- the, the cervix wasn't dilating anymore, I wasn't progressing. And at which point I was tired and I'd requested an epidural and wh- whatever was going on at the ward, it was busy. And they mm. couldn't offer, offer me that straight away. And I think at that point I did feel a little bit disheartened and I felt like I wasn't coping very well. And then that's where my sister and my husband sort of, jumped in and said, look, you know, she's usually very good at coping with pain. And she, if she's saying she's yeah. not coping, we need to do something. So um in the end, I succumbed to a, an epidural. We had that sighted and I was still only six centimeters. By which point I was borderline having a temperature, you know, my observations weren't very good. And I sort of sat down to them, sat down with the doctors and I said, Look, I don't think I'm progressing. And if I put my midwifery cap on, I'm a little bit concerned that I'm still stuck at six centimetres. And when you examine me, you're saying you're not able to feel the baby's head, so the baby's still quite high up. Mm. And looking at the overall picture, it doesn't seem like this is heading in the direction of a normal delivery or even a bit of help. At which point, um, and and again, this is a perception thing. This is my perception of what was going on through my labour, but... That the doctors came down quite harshly on me by saying, Well, a cesarean section isn't something which is a maternal request. And I was quite taken aback by that because I felt that they weren't looking at me as a pregnant woman in labor. (laughs) Um, They were looking Mm. at me as the midwife in the bed who was trying to advise them how to do their job, which I wasn't. I think I was just trying to say that, you know, we both know that this isn't really advancing to a normal delivery and I don't want to stress out my baby any more than it is showing signs of distress. Um, but the fact that
0: you were a professional midwife, they should have. Cons- I feel they should have considered that maybe, and, and that I you where, where you were coming from.
1: I agree. So looking back now, I I did at that time feel like they made me feel. Now this is how I was feeling, but they made me feel self conscious and and bad for being a midwife and telling them my concerns, as opposed mm-hmm. to hearing my concerns as a mother or from a mother's point of view.
0: And they, they they're, they're very good at doing that. doing that. I agree. Medical so professions can be very good at doing that to you
1: in that moment I don't think I felt heard or understood and I was very very low at that point where I just like well Mm. this isn't this isn't right you know and um, you're worrying about your baby
0: obviously the safety of your baby
1: so they wanted to wait another four hours and I said well I'm not waiting more than two hours and do you really think after that two hours I'm going to be fully dilated and pushing and they agreed that I wouldn't be and so then they decided to go ahead, and and then I had an emergency cesarean section um, on the fifth fifth day of induction. So I was in there for quite some time, but uh, Shakti was born. She was happy. She was healthy. She was holding onto her cord for dear life, which was around her neck <laughs> twice. Oh God! But, um, that would have explained why she was so stuck and why she was distressed. But
0: but they she, had not identified that. No,
1: they hadn't. that the cord was. No. And, you know, when I when I come back to that day, even now, the doctors didn't come back to, um, I guess, debrief me as to what they found when they did my cesarean section, which I thought was probably not the best pac- practice on their half behalf because as medical professionals, we always go back to debrief after an emergency situation or a situation like that where we say, well, yes, we did the caesarean section and this is what we found. And I never had that kind of closure from them. They never came back to me and said to me, well, you know, yes, the cord was around the baby's neck. You know, we were right to make that decision. It was almost like they they were too proud to come back to me to say that. And Mm -hmm. um, Mm. I had to figure it out myself, almost asking the questions and asking the midwives around me, which um, which wasn't a positive experience
0: for me. No, but the fact that you were in the profession and you had all that knowledge. Now, if that was somebody, I'd say a lay person, who had no knowledge of what was going on, um, I think it would be quite frightening. You were obviously worried about what was going on, but you knew you knew what was going on, literally. Whereas for somebody who's not in the profession, has no idea, that can be quite scary.
1: A hundred percent. And the the fact that I'd seen it so many times before as a midwife mm. and as yes. midwives, we do play advocates for our, our ladies, you know, we're fighting for them course to you thick do. and, thin and we, we are their voice.
0: Yeah,
1: And, and that's yes. the time it made me realize that it was unfair that I was being treated differently.
0: Mm, absolutely. I mean, not, not to name any, any hospitals or people, did you give birth in the same hospital that you were working in?
1: So, yes, I gave birth in the same hospital that I used to work in. So I'd actually stopped working used to work there. In, yeah. um, stopped working there, I think, just before I conceived, actually. So before I got pregnant, um, I'd, oh, I'd actually okay. job changed by then. So um, right, it's not like they didn't know me.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which, um,
1: yeah, that's why I'm asking
0: the, the question. You would have known the people then if you had worked in that unit. Was that the unit you were working in? Yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So I worked around the whole unit. So I was very well known. And, and my aftercare was brilliant. They really looked after me after I had my baby. It's just during my labour. And unfortunately, during your labour, it is very doctor led if you're on the labour ward. So the doctors rotate, they don't know you, but the midwifery staff do. So they obviously yeah. have that battle between them as well to try and provide the best quality care.
0: But how did you find the, the midwives, the care from the midwives um, during, during your labour?
1: I can't, I, to be honest, I can't fault them at all. They were amazing and they yeah. tried to fight my corner with me and they were really reassuring and And they were able to see the red signs that I could see when I was looking at the trace for the baby, for example, or how I was going through what I was going through. Yeah. So they knew that I wasn't just a hypochondriac or a midwife who was trying to tell them what to do. They They knew that I had been quite laid back up until that point where I thought, okay, now I need to say something because I can hear the alarm bells ringing and and am I being heard? So they were phenomenal. Like, I can't doubt them at all.
0: But it's just unfortunate that the medical, some medical professionals feel that, you know, they don't like, well, like you you said, you weren't telling them to have to do their job, but they just feel like they don't want to take um, advice or anybody else's opinions, which is a real shame, because you would think you being having been a midwife and practiced, they would take some heed of that. But Shakti was born, and she was healthy. That's the main thing. Yes, and that that was the the best outcome
1: I could have had. The right decision was made at the right time, as far as I was concerned. It doesn't matter how I got there. We we had that positive outcome.
0: Yeah, having and I know in the past when I've spoken to people or it used to be a big thing and I don't know if it still is. I mean, you'll correct me on this if I'm wrong, but, you know, people would make birth plans. Um, everybody has to go in with a birth plan, didn't they? And then sometimes if your birth plan didn't go to plan, oh, my God, you know, it was really not a a good outcome or women would get very upset by it or say that you know it all gone wrong for them and 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 it hadn't been the experience they wanted etc did you have a birthing plan ready and obviously it may not have gone to, to plan but did you have something in place that you wanted
1: I didn't to be honest because um I I was considered high risk because I had some underlying health conditions anyway. So I always knew that if I was to deliver it, it'd be on a labor ward. But it's like, I always tell my women that a birth plan, a birth plan is, is an idea. It's, it's, it's a rough guideline as to what you would, you would like, but please don't think Mm. that's what's going to happen because, you know, nine out of 10 times, the baby has a different idea altogether. And depending on the circumstances at the time, Whilst you might want all these things which are great, what will be offered to you is what's safest for you and your baby at that moment in that time. And mm. you know, I, I'd had a discussion with my husband to say, Well, these are the things I will be okay with, these are the things I won't be okay with, just to give a, an, a rough guideline. It wasn't sort of set in stone, and we'd had a discussion about sort of because he's from a non-medical background I'd already discussed with him what could yeah. go wrong and at what point I'd need him to advocate for me and um I'd already spoken to my elder sister about that as well and the reason I had her there is because she'd had two, two high risk pregnancies herself and she was very yes. alert, alert and aware of what to do so um we never had a had a set in stone plan but we'd always had that discussion quite openly as to what we'd all be comfortable with or when it wasn't okay and when I'd need them to step yeah. in, but um, I think we have to be realistic as women that you know we might plan one thing, but it doesn't always go to plan, and we have to be open to that through yeah. your pregnancy.
0: Well, that's that's like like life, really, isn't it? We have many plans and ideas, and life doesn't always <laughs> go like that. But yeah, um but you, how were you after? Obviously, you'd had a cesarean, but you know your under high, underlying health issues. Did they correct themselves? Did you you know did it all go okay after that?
1: I think my recovery did take a lot longer because of my pelvic pain. That kind of didn't leave me for for at least I think two, three months after I had Shakti. So initially after you've had a cesarean section, you know, you're it's a it's a major surgery. So, you know, you're having to recover yes. physically and you've also got this newborn who is is you know, mm. is dependent on you. And I initially right. had to have, my husband had to pass her to me a lot, and and I wouldn't physically be able to take her out of the cart, or she was quite a heavy baby, so even carrying her for long amounts of time, it put a strain on my body. And I think for me, that's where this mum guilt as, as well sort of popped in and, and cropped its ugly head a little bit, where I felt very... Depleted, I think, and defeated that I I wasn't able to cope with something which was supposed to be so natural for women. You know, a childbirth, and here I was struggling to carry my baby, and that's the most unnatural thing for a newborn and a new mum. And I think I was pretty harsh on myself, you know, in that situation because my body wasn't quite caught up to being a new mum and ready to provide for my newborn. And mm. it took time. I think healing does take time, but for me, it took that little bit of an extra time frame
0: yeah and um were you were you able to breastfeed um your newborn I was thankfully
1: (laughs) that that in itself was an interesting story and I feel like when I when I talk about it it sounds like everything happened to me but I've made peace with it so Shakti was (laughs) initially when you had a cesarean it takes time for your milk to come through So, by day three, my milk was starting to come through, but she'd lost weight. So, we had to stay in hospital. And we did have to top her up um, with formula. And whilst I know breast is best and that's what we promote, I was, you know, well and truly okay with it because I knew that that's what she needed at the time. And I Mm. knew it wasn't going to be a long term thing, it was just to get her weight up. But um, initially, I think no one really tells you that breastfeeding is difficult. And I think that's really important to relay to new mums that breastfeeding isn't as easy as your baby's just going to find the breast and you're going to feed and it's going to be an absolutely amazing journey and everyone has this idea (laughs) you know everyone has this idea that you know it's going to be amazing and it's going to be really easy but it really isn't because you're you're getting used to handling a newborn your breasts haven't Mm. done it before your hands haven't done it before where you're actually latching a child onto your breast so it is a challenge and I was all ready for it because I'd had all the training in the world And I knew there was Mm. something wrong with Shakti in with her feeding, you know, and I was doing everything right. My positioning was great. My latch was great. She was latching on, but I was in pain. And I was telling the midwives and the health visitors around me that there's something wrong because I'd go from feeding, you know, anywhere between four hours in one sitting to up to 10 hours where she'd just be on and off the breast. And I'd be like, this is just not normal. Like there is no way that this child is that hungry, but not putting on that much weight. Even though I've got a good flow, mm. so you know I persevered for four weeks with the whole cracked nipples, the bleeding, the the oh,
0: you know the pain, oh
1: dear. you know everything. And I thought, you know, yeah. I'm rest, rest, yeah. rest is best, and I'm going to do this. And then I was referred to a lactation <gasps> consultant because I was saying something's wrong, and no one was listening to me. Um, so this lactation consultant nearby where I live was absolutely amazing. She said. Um, should we try to get her to open her mouth? And before you knew it, Shokhi was yelling anyway, so she was ready for a feed, even though I'd just fed her. And she didn't even have to touch her. She just said, she's got a tongue tie. She's got a to- I was going to say. Got a- she's got a tongue yeah. tie, she's got a lip tie, and she's got a very high palate. And she said to me, I am so surprised you're still breastfeeding because anybody else would have given up by now. And she said, the combination of the three is, it's the triangle, it's lethal, because... They're they're unable to to get enough breast in their mouth to be able to feed and that's why she's just latching on the nipple and you're in pain she goes you need to give yourself a break have a day off and i'm going to refer you to have her reviewed by a tongue tie specialist to see if we can get it released are you planning to continue and i said yes so you know i really want to breastfeed and I, i don't want to formula feed but that night i went home and i had a little cry and i said thankfully someone is listening to me. But you there knew
0: it's a mother's instinct. It's exactly. a mother's instinct and I don't understand why they don't listen to you.
1: I think when I on reflection, I think when somebody so notices midwife or nurse on your paperwork, they're already so alert. Yeah that you're you might know better than them or you might question them or challenge them. So their guard goes yeah. up. Yeah. And they don't listen. And um oh. This health visitor, she was amazing. She, you know, she referred us. She had her tongue tie released at five weeks. And I'm not joking. That first week after her tongue tie was released, she put on 750 grams. And I was the happiest woman on the planet. You know, it was the, the oh. weight gain and the journey from then. Her feeding was amazing. And then no top so you up, said nothing a, at all. She had a,
0: you, she had a tongue tie? a high lip did you say
1: so she had a posterior tongue tie which is quite a tight mm-hmm. tongue tie which is right at the back of the tongue yeah. underneath she had a lip tie which is do you know um a where your front, front front gum is just at the top there's a little bit of um oh, yeah there as well she had quite a tight yeah lip tie which was meaning she couldn't open her mouth very very wide yeah. and with the tongue tie it didn't help and she also had a high palate where it, where the inside of the the, the mouth the bit where we can touch our tongue to the roof of the mouth, was very, very high. So as the breast was hitting or going into her mouth, she wasn't able to quite push her tongue high enough for the nipple to reach the roof of the mouth because the roof of the mouth was too high. The tongue was too tight and her mouth wouldn't open because her lip tie was really tight. So it was a very lethal combination where she wasn't effectively feeding. And they tell you that when that's the combination, she has pain on feeding and so do you. So it was breaking my heart that she was in pain and I was in pain and what was supposed to be another pleasant experience actually became painful. But we came out Mm. of it and and she was thriving by the time we released it. Did
0: she have the so it's just the tongue tie that had to be released? What about the lip tie? Does it do they do anything with that. that?
1: No. You can do it sort of privately. Um, uh, under cosmetic Mm -hmm. reasons if you choose to but the NHS don't do that in the UK actually, they don't release um, lip ties, they sort of um, not resolve on their own but when children grow up, when they they fall or when they knock themselves that usually as graphic as it sounds would would tear itself and then just not heal again it's just one of those things that may stay intact or may through injury go away on its own
0: so um, we didn't have that changed Right. So five weeks on, you've now sorted out these things. Was life getting better for you? Was motherhood, uh, you were in a better place as, a, as, as, you know, sort of caring for your baby yourself mentally and physically you were still obviously in pain from your cesarean, but mentally because you've been through a hell of a lot during your pregnancy. You've had five weeks of this, nobody listening to you how did things and how did things go after that and what sort of space were you in after that
1: from a from a feeding point of view it was brilliant you know I was able to provide for her and in your Mm -hmm. mind when your emotions are running wild that's one of the biggest concerns I had was I wasn't able to provide for my child I wasn't able to make her thrive and for me as soon as the breastfeeding kind of fixed itself and we were able to do that that was one sort of tick in my box to say you know you're doing your job as a mum. You're able to feed your baby. For me, emotionally, I didn't connect with Shakti until she was probably about eight or nine weeks because the trauma of labour, then the trauma of mm. breastfeeding. I was very disconnected from her. And I acknowledged it, but I hid it very well from the healthcare professionals around me because I knew what to say, Um, you know, in that, yes. in that sense. You know, you don't want to come across as the one who's going through the blues or who's going through... A little bit of borderline postnatal depression it wasn't something that you take pride in I think and especially coming from quite an Asian background it's just not something that's discussed or you're allowed to feel you know you've had a baby you should be happy
0: about it what are you so upset about yeah
1: you know and um, and also
0: the health professions the minute they pick up on it you'll be referred left right and center again won't you um, because I, I I remember with my second child um, I, I I was feeling a bit down actually. Um, there'd been lots going on at home and family, etc. My I'd been quite ill during that pregnancy and after I had him, you know, they'd keep asking me it used to be the Glasgow scale, is that what it still is? Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. so it depends on the area, but yes, they still use it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I and she'd come around the health would come round and sort of ask me and I and I kinda knew and I'd I say to her, Look, I, I've got a lot going on but I am not on this scale, okay? I sort of had it because, as like you say, as a healthcare profession, you know where they're going with it, you know? I said, I know exactly what's happening to me. I am in control and I am not going down this scale, so don't worry about it. But yeah, and, and like you say, what, in well, 20-odd 20, 20 years ago, postnatal depression in our community was not even heard of or what is going on? There's nothing wrong with you. You're right. It's a it's a real taboo, and I guess it still must be for the older generation. I don't I don't for, know. You'd be a better judge of telling me that.
1: I mean, I I still I mean, my my in laws are quite still very quite traditional and quite cultured, and and are very of they are of the older generation. A bit like my my mum, my you know my grandparents mm. and and extended family. And um, being a woman of today, I think we're a little bit more aware that it's okay. Um, to feel that way but I think when you're a mum in that situation you don't want to be judged because you feel that your every move and your every step is being judged anyway your every parenting is being judged you feel yeah. that way as a new mum and I think that whether it is or not that 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 notion is there in place already you already know that there are people who are saying oh I didn't do it like that or why don't you try this and you're almost like I don't want to try it like that I want to do it this way and there's all these judgments being passed anyway that if you then turn around and say i'm not okay that that everyone's just going to step in and say well why aren't you okay and then you know she's she's over exaggerating i got or i got the whole um she's fussy um you know she she doesn't take our help so how can we help her you know and in it's comments like this which you might not think anything of when you're you're not a new mum but you're already emotional you're sensitive and you hear these things and you're building up this mum guilt it's just building up building up and you're just thinking I'm not doing a great job at this why did I put myself through this and why did I do it and you deserve better I remember thinking looking at Shakti and saying you deserve better than this and you know and and that's not true I mean I've said it to so many mums that you are the best Mm. you are the best mum that that baby can have because you are its mum and not anything anyone says or does is going to change that and what you decide is always going to be the best for your child until it's 18 and tells you otherwise but you know <laughs> you, yeah. you are its mum and um I think for their first so eight weeks how did weeks, you
0: cope with that yeah how how did you cope in those first eight weeks like yourself? I didn't really tell
1: anyone about it I didn't talk about it I didn't tell my
0: husband not even I your sisters
1: really, not even my sisters your sister initially. no nobody and it was always because in my family, because I'm the healthcare professional, I was always perceived as I'm the strong one. And and that mm, image in itself, yeah. then having a new one and a mum, being a mum and saying, Hi guys, I'm not coping or I'm struggling, I couldn't say those words. It just wouldn't, they wouldn't leave my mouth. And my mum could see, my mum could see through me. She said, You know, she pulled my husband aside and said, Look, I'm really worried about um, his mental health. She seems very low, and it's not like her. And I'm concerned. And, and, you know, he said, you know, yeah, she's tired. She's not been sleeping well. And, and it was it was a conversation between them, which I'd overheard anyway. Um, and um, I think at eight weeks, I'd sort of said to myself, enough is enough. And this isn't healthy. Like, I look at my child mm. and I know she's mine, but I don't feel she's mine. And that's not a healthy way to to nurture and grow a baby, to be a healthy individual themselves. And I think that's when I reached out to my sisters who were phenomenal. And um, one of my really close friends sort of um, checked in on me regularly. And I sort of sat down and said, you know, I'm not okay. And Mm. I just don't feel happy, you know, and just think I'm tired. And it's been a rough journey. And I haven't quite come to terms with that journey yet. You know, I was just getting this baby in my arms after my cesarean section and said, well, there you go, this is your baby. And funnily enough, I remember saying to my sister, I said, the first thought I had is, how do I know that's my baby? I mean, I didn't witness it come out of my body, (laughs) you know. And she (laughs) she said, don't be silly. Of course it's your baby. Who else's baby is it going to be? And I said, you know, it's not, I know it doesn't make sense. And nothing about how I was feeling in that moment made any sense to me. And that scared me. And I said, I know she's my baby and I don't understand why I feel this way, but I that's that's how disconnected I felt. Didn't feel like she was mine. And then at eight weeks she smiled at me. <laughs> you know, we were we were she you know, we were feeding and I said to her I said something quite frank and I'm very random that way, you know, with Shakti. I always talked to her like she was a mini adult, even when she was a baby, you know, I was just like, Right, so yeah you know, Mummy's gonna feed you now and then if she gets a minute, she might even try to feed herself. And she just started laughing and she just giggled at me. And in that moment, I think I'll never forget that that was the moment I was like, she's mine. Like, you know, and it it was an overwhelming emotion. And it just kind of hit home that this child is mine. I grew her and she came out of me. But um, it sounds funny now talking about it. But in that moment, I literally thought I was losing my mind. And I knew all the skills Mm. as a healthcare professional, as a midwife.
0: I knew what was going on with me to register it and that's the scariest part as well that's a scary part as well isn't it knowing knowing that but not being able to to do anything about it and I think that's we are our own worst enemy with the knowledge that we have when we're healthcare professions Uh, we don't like you say you don't we don't help ourselves we are we are the we are the worst at that and so at eight weeks you you've got a smile which is great
1: Yes, And how did that
0: make you feel?
1: Pretty amazing. And I think at that point, it kind of came home to me that I'm a mum, you know, and it was, I don't know if it was hormones, or it was the actual connection or the bond. But, you know, I had a little weep. And um, I think as you do, (laughs) for the first eight weeks, all I felt like I did was weep. But um, this was a different kind of a sob. And there was no looking back. We were best friends from that moment on, you know, every Every day was better. it got more and more positive. She was thriving. you know I felt like more than just a mum to her you know it was it was an an amazing yeah. connection which I was gutted at I had missed out on those eight weeks of that connection but but you know it there was no turning back after that. It was just amazing
0: mm. so having having had her and um you know traditionally um in our culture we tend to after we've had our baby go and sort of convalesce with our with our mothers our mothers take care of us and we go to our mother's home did you have that opportunity or did you did your mother come to you or did you you know was it rotation of mother and mother-in-law
1: so um how did it work for you we had decided that I was going to come home because my husband had two weeks off and um, right we really wanted to connect as a family initially so um mm-hmm. unfortunately because of the complications we were in hospital for the first week and then the following right. week my mother-in-law came and stayed with us um mm-hmm. to look to, to look after me and the baby and um I mean initially I would have gone to my mum's, but um because we'd already come home and we were settling into routine we didn't but my mum would come around to see me
0: um she was just round the corner isn't she yeah she's so not she's too not, far she so she would pop in, in.
1: Yeah. yeah she would yeah. pop in to see us and um That was only really for the first two weeks of Shakti's life. And then my mother-in-law went back. She's in Leicester, so she went back to Leicester. And um, mum had to attend a family wedding in in the US. So Shakti was two weeks and it was just me and Shakti at home. (laughs) So um, I think that's why a lot of these things went undetected. It was because it was just the two of us. Like my husband would be back at work and he'd come home at six and I'd be sat in the same position, still feeding. And he'd be like, "Well, have you eaten anything?" And I'd be like, "I haven't had a chance, so bless him he'd in the mornings he'd make a sandwich and leave it by my bed and say, "Look, just in case you can't get to the kitchen and then you know, I think things spiraled out more because it was just the two of us, I think initially for the first eight weeks of our life but um mm. after which, I went to stay at my mum's for for a week and I think replenished my energy and my resources, and it was lovely,
0: yes yeah and and you know, at the beginning, we we talked about you growing up in a in an extended family, and you're very much, a, I guess, a nuclear family now. And like you said, those things going undetected because when you're in that extended family, it, it it can have its good points and bad points because there could be so much going on that you you do feel overwhelmed. Um, but you bringing up Shakti is a, well, one, it's a very different era to when you were brought up and you're not in this huge family environment yes they're all there they're all extended and they're there but you know day to day it's you your husband and Shakti how does how how is that for you because because I you know like you've said the the way you were brought up is very different
1: I think it whilst we're in the new sort of we're, we're of this generation and we're in um I guess that parenting era of where routine is important. We know that now where, you know, timings are important. Routine is really important for the child's health. I think I still find that this new age parenting can be quite isolating because Mm. I grew up in a family where there was hubbub and there was help and there were aunts, there were uncles, there were people around, you know, it wasn't just my my mum and dad and us. And, um, even when it was if my mum and dad and us if my grandparents were away or people weren't coming around. As siblings we had enough of us to keep us going. Um, where it is just now, Rahul, me and Shekli, I think we look at things and we think, you know, things become quite repetitive. The routine is pretty standard, particularly with COVID at the moment. We weren't able to sort of go out and explore family and things. But I think it's a shame that like my child won't have the same kind of closeness to their extended family as we did because we grew up knowing and understanding the value of family and the importance of it and and we could see what it brought to children's lives as well as the adults lives that you know that yeah it was a learning journey for everybody you learn from generations above about religion culture and the way of life and as children they learnt from us because we were re- we were fresh to the world the way we learned things the things that we saw with our eyes and how we portrayed it to them they were able to learn new things from us whereas i think for shakti blesser i think she won't get the same i guess level of input from extended family where i can only teach her so much about our religion our culture mm. or um the way of life because i can only teach her the knowledge i have whereas if we lived in a joint family for example with you know with my in-laws or even if it was my mom or my grandparents even now um they would have, you know, different opinions and different teachings and a different approach, which Shakti won't get because we live away from family or we don't live with them, which I think is 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 a shame, I think.
0: Yeah, and, and you, your sisters have both got daughters, so there's what, she's got five cousins, isn't she? So she's got five cousins. Two, two of your sisters and three.
1: Yeah, on my side, so from my mum, like from my sister's. Yes. And she's got yeah. three cousins from her dad's side. Um, but unfortunately, nice. they, they don't live close either. So she mm. gets interaction once in a while with them on occasion. Or if we, we travel to see them, it's not too far. But yes. um, it's still very isolating. The only interaction she gets with other children is at nursery, really. Um, and, and through friends circle. But that's not the same as family, you know.
0: No, no. But it's, I think this generation, it is more about the friends. And like you say, the socializing from school or nursery and your parent friends that you've you made along the way. Whereas I know when I was growing up, I mean, yes, I had friends at school, but outside of that, it was my cousins. They were my friends um, and they were my family. You know, we didn't need anybody else. And And, and I've seen the same with my children. I mean, they're now in their 20s, but, you know, it's been very much about your friends are your family, not your family are your friends.
1: Definitely. And I um, think we were that generation of the cusp of that, where we still had some friends at school and some friends in the community, but predominantly our cousins were the people that we we grew up with. We met up at every function, every you know every weekend celebration every other weekend school holidays half terms where yeah you know whereby we were just at that level as well but you know now it is literally the the family that we have now with the friends that we've chosen and on occasion unfortunately the family that we're related to is when when we engage with or interact with them
0: Mm. your your husband was his upbringing very similar to yours um or or was it different? I know you said he's not from London.
1: He uh, he had a very, I mean, I would say he had a fem, fem, uh, similar sort of upbringing to to, to me. Um, as I said, my in-laws are, are, are quite traditional and quite cultural. And he actually lived with his grandparents as well. So um, whilst he had a lot right. of aunts and uncles, his grandparents lived with him. So he did live in a joint family. Um, up until, mm. I think, um, the age of eight, nine, he had sort of, uncles and aunts living with him but then he went on to having his grandparents living with him until they passed on so he he is from a very similar background and he he's a lot more quieter than me so I think he he (laughs) found friends in his siblings and had his friends and they had cousins that they all sort of grew up together but um it was different from from his perspective because he was from a, a family of just three brothers, whereas we were in a household of three girls and I had a little and brother. More girls. So we, we yes. had a lot more sort of <laughs> excitement and, and the dynamics. The dynamics are totally <laughs> the different, dynamics aren't they? different, Definitely, yes. definitely, yeah.
0: And now all of you have got daughters.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> My, my the girl gang again is. We've got a girl gang. We've got now. Uh, hold on, let me get this right now. So there's six, six girls between six. three of us, and yeah. they yeah. are definitely the life and soul of any
0: party. <laughs> they are. Phenomenal. I bet they are. I. Yeah, and um how your parenting um compared to how you were brought up, or you know how your parents parented? Is that are you? you know is that a combination of yours and your hubby's upbringing together of how you're bringing up Shakti um
1: I think yes and no in terms of culture respect for elders um respect for each other things that we learned that's very much the foundation of our parenting Mm. but I think as new parents and parents of this era we have tried to bring about what's healthy as well um in the sense Mm -hmm. that things with routine what we eat how we behave so health and fitness promoting that in in parenting and and being a parent just trying to say this is important this is healthy no you can't have certain foods or to make sort of healthier lifestyle choices you know sleep is important you know you need to get enough sleep um you know, yes. downtime is important. Whilst it's important to meet people and have a good time, it's important to understand the importance of calming down, having moments to yourself, and emotional empathy. You know, being able to acknowledge my emotions and getting Shakti to learn how to acknowledge her own emotions and to know that it's okay to be upset or to be distressed. Or, you know, when we were younger, it was very much like, you know, stop crying (laughs) why are you crying or why are you so upset or it was was one one, yeah it was one of those that you know just just get over it whereas Mm. I want Shakti to be able to understand and acknowledge her emotions and be able to articulate that I'm not okay from a young age she's able to now recognize that I'm not happy I'm sad or and then I'll say to her okay that's okay would you like a cuddle and if she does she gets one and if she doesn't I'll say to her would you like to calm down in the corner and she says yes or no we'll walk over to the corner she calms down and she's able to acknowledge that yes she was distressed and that's okay and that she's got an area in the house where she can go to to calm down and gather her thoughts if she wants to And we sit down there and we'll do Om Namah Shivaya about three or four times. She calms down and then she's able to tell me, this is what upset me. And she's only two, but we try and work on that sort of emotional empathy, understanding, routine, health. Because whilst we had some of that growing up, it wasn't sort of the priority. It wasn't as vocal. It wasn't as vocal. No, it definitely wasn't. I think that impacts you growing up where where the mental health is a taboo i want her to embrace that if she's not okay she she can tell us and we'll figure it out together and that it's okay to not be okay so i think that's where it's different yeah. from how we were raised not saying that we were raised in in a in a bad way it was just a different way
0: well it was circumstances i mean i always i always i mean i'm in awe of your mom and always have been in awe of your mom she's a super super woman as i say you know um she, if you think about everything that she juggled, you know we we don't do we don't we don't do any of that. You know she she ran a post office. She looked after her in laws. She had four children. She was an amazing and is an amazing cook and would have food just just there all the time. You know she she was with there in the community, keeping all the relationships. I mean, what a juggling act that is!
1: And, that your mom I,
0: was doing in those I, I, days,
1: definitely. And I always put my hand on my heart, and I say, you know, she set the bar very high for me and my sisters. You know, when we look back at parenting, yes. she she did it all. You know, she set the prime example of of what a perfect woman should be, and 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 she never once said to us it was easy, and she never once lied and said that you know it's going to be easy, but she she did it flawlessly. You know, it was. With a smile on her face With a smile on her face. No matter whether she was happy, sad, or if circumstances weren't weren't great, she did it completely effortlessly. You know, she made it look like it was no effort at all. And for me, that she will always be that role model. And I know for my sisters as well that they look on her to see what she went through day to day, to have us initially, as well as to raise us, you know, three girls and a boy. Mm. It wasn't easy. It isn't easy now, and it definitely wasn't easy then. And um, whilst the times were different, I know that when I talk to my mum about parenting and how we do things now, you know, she often sits back and she says that, you know, perhaps I wasn't such a great mum to you because of everything else that was going on in life. And we always say to her, no, because you were an amazing mum and you are an amazing mum. You set the foundations for us to be strong, independent women. and, And we've learned so much from you. And it's not that what we're doing is better than what you did. It's just different. It's learning from what you did and yeah. being able to grow and, and and provide a slightly different upbringing for our children, keeping the foundations that you set for us. And um, that's often yes. something we talk about.
0: Mm. I know, I mean, my mother-in-law was much older than, than your mum, much older generation, but, you know, she used to, as you know, she used to live with me. And she'd look at, us running around (laughs) you know around after our kids and taking them here there and everywhere and you know she'd often say she'd say in those days we had very little but we were so happy with what we had and what we did with our children and now you guys have so much but you don't have the time you are just you know in a rat race and you don't you guys don't stop um, because you can see that, you know, she's sitting there on the sofa watching us and it's come home, it's doing the homework, it's doing this. I mean, I'm sure she, they never once sat down with their children to see them doing their homework. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? How how the generations have changed, but there are still elements there that you, you pull the threads through and you take with you in your own parenting. Um, and and yes, your your mum is, is an absolute role model. Um, till this day, I would say, you know, um, that she can sit back and, and and reap the rewards of what she, the foundations that she's laid. You know, um, so as we come towards the end of this podcast, there, I always ask the three golden nuggets of what you would say to, I think in your case, uh, a mum-to-be, a mum going through pregnancy and a mum who's had the child. Can you give me one of each and make that three?
1: Oh um Okay, so somebody who's gone Conception. Through... Let's look. <laughs> hmm. Um keep an open mind, I would say. And don't be mm-hmm. too harsh on yourself. The body will do what the body okay. is meant to do and allow it to do that and accept Whatever comes along the way,
0: I would say, for conception, yeah. <laughs> um, pregnancy. I would say, <laughs> again, I know, I know yours wasn't the best of experiences, but anything that you learned from from your experience,
1: it is an amazing
0: experience. You know, you will have hurdles and obstacles along the way.
1: But the outcome, the end goal is phenomenal and it's life changing in a good way. So if anyone is ever in the position that I was in and it's difficult, just know that there is light at the end of that tunnel and it's a bright light and it's something to keep keep you going. So to try and keep a positive, upbeat, um, open mind. But if you are down, it's OK to not be OK and reach out to people around mm. you. And um after and she's once you've after, had the baby. <laughs> once I've had the baby <laughs> once you you become the mother,
0: once you become the mother.
1: There will always be hurdles. A mother. <laughs> there will always be hurdles. Yeah, oh yes. Always be challenges and it's just a chapter in her book and in your book. So I would just say enjoy every moment. Time passes so quickly, time flies, and they flourish and they thrive before your eyes. I would also say Mum guilt is there but don't let it consume you because everybody around Mm. you is probably going through exactly the same things that you are going through. Concerns, um, situations, upset, turmoil. People just don't talk about it. Nobody will say to you that I've had a really bad day or I'm feeling really bad or I feel like a bad mum. People will only show you the positives, but that doesn't mean that behind closed doors and inside their heart, they're not feeling the same way. So don't let mum guilt consume you and just enjoy every moment because before you know it, they're two. And then I'm sure before I know it, she'll be 20. And she might be having this (laughs) conversation with somebody else (laughs) on another day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I had a a friend who said to me, when they're little, there are little problems. When they're older, there are big problems, you know, and challenges. Um, But I haven't even met Shakti yet. And I, I, I really look forward to meeting her um let's, let's do that point. soon <laughs> 2021 let's make it our goal by the end of 2021 i know we're in two different countries but um once we're back in the back in the same country we've definitely got to do that and it's been a real honor speaking with you today because i've seen you grow up on me since you were well i think you were born when i came into into the family but um you were very little and uh You were one determined little girl who is now turned into an amazing wife and a mother and also very determined, I think, still to say. And um, it's just been it's just been amazing speaking to you tonight. Um, And thank you so much for for doing this. And I
1: I am honoured that you asked me. I'm really, really honoured and the pleasure is all mine. It's 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 been phenomenal. So thank you very, very much.
0: You know and thank you for everything and opening uh, speaking openly and honestly because I think it's very much needed for for mothers to be mothers who are going you know going through things when they hear it that it's okay to be okay and i and you know everybody is saying that out there, but um our community and our culture doesn't doesn't always allow that and I think um it it's really nice speaking with you somebody from an Asian background to say that, who's also a midwife. And um, just wishing you all the best on on your journey of motherhood. And I I look forward to, you know, watching your journey and of Shakti growing up. So thank you so much.
1: Take care. Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye.